Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On the Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On the Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On the Spot, now available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming services. This week, I sit down with Jenny Thompson, founder of Safety Pin Technologies. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of On the Spot. I'm Melinda Garvey, and I am your host and super excited to be here today, as always, bringing you another incredible female role model. As you know, at On the Dot, we are all about bringing you those incredible role models. And I know as women and as women in business, we need those role models to be able to really thrive. So today, we welcome Jenny Thompson, and she is the founder of Safety Pin Technologies which helps you make sure that the people that you're bringing into your home are who they really say they are. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But Jenny, welcome to our show today. We're really excited to have you. Hi, Melinda. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I always like to kind of jump way back when we're starting the story, because I think the journey and the path and all the pivots along the way are so important. So when you were growing up, just tell us a little bit about your history and growing up and what was your big dream? What did you think you were going to be doing and, and where'd you end up? Well, Melinda, I always knew I would be connected to something in sales and marketing because I used to go around my house and pick up items that my parents had already paid for and try to sell them to them. So I would make up slogans, I would sing them little jingles. And then one summer when I went to sleepaway camp, I think I was eight or nine years old and I needed a haircut and a haircut was $2. And instead of just saying to my parents, I need $2, I wrote to each of my parents individually. I wrote to my aunt, my uncle, and all of my grandparents. And I ended up getting $16. And I always joke that my first direct mail campaign had a 100% response. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And prepared me for my future career. And then when I was in college, I was pledging my sorority and we had to sell blow pops. We weren't allowed to come back to the house until we'd sold all of them. And I stopped this guy on the street and I said, can you buy my last four blow pops? And he said, I can't, I'm diabetic. And I said, I don't need you to eat them. I just need you to buy them. And he did. So. <laughs> That's awesome. How to overcome any objection, right? I always joke that I never got my 23 and me done because it wouldn't necessarily come back, you know, Russian or European or whatever. It would just come back marketing. And I already know that. But there was an early surprise in my career because my very first job, actually, I was still in college, but I paused my college career for a little while and I became a bailiff and I was working in a courthouse in the district court in Hyattsville, Maryland, and had a lot of interesting stories from there. Then I went back to school where I was a journalism major with the goal of studying advertising. And at the University of Maryland, advertising was part of the journalism school because the media are such an important component of advertising. And so I always had this dream of going to Madison Avenue and being in a big boardroom with the Ogilvy and Mathers of the world and taking Madison Avenue by storm. But my career actually took me in much more of the direct response, direct to consumer marketing angle. And I spent most of my career in either membership marketing or then eventually in health marketing, where I ran a company where we published information on natural medicine and we sold supplements. Very interesting. Lots of twists and turns, but you were in that same vein for a while. So let's not talk about what you're doing today because now you are the founder of a tech company, right? Tell us a little bit about Safety Pin and what the impetus was for founding this company. 
So as I mentioned, my last job, I was running this health company and I'd been there for 20 years and I decided I had really accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish there. And it was time to let the next generation have their opportunity. I think you know, 20 years is a very long time at one place, especially these days. But I remember the days where until somebody retired, nobody ever got a promotion and, and the latter was very discouraging. And I really wanted them to have an opportunity to bring their ideas to life and to take a, a step up, up the leadership ladder. So I resigned not really knowing what I was going to do. I did a little bit of consulting. And during that time, I went on vacation. When I came back, I found out that my dog sitter had not stayed at my house like she was supposed to. And based on a bunch of clues I put together from my super sleuth days as a bailiff, I found out she had left them alone part of the week and then taken them somewhere part of the week because their beds were missing. And when I confronted her about it and told her that she was fired and I had prepaid her to watch them the following week, that she had to pay me back $150, she took the unique angle of faking her own death so that she would not have to pay me back $150. Wow. I mean, that's extreme. I mean, $150 and you fake your own death. And she could have just blocked me from her phone. I mean, I wasn't bothering her. She agreed to pay me the money. I was going to follow up with her a week later. And then I get these crazy series of texts saying she was in this terrible accident and then that she was in a medically induced coma. And then the doctors are saying there's nothing we can do. And then finally that she passed away. And so I had really struggled. One of my dogs is kind of special needs dog and he really has a trust issue and an abandonment issue. And I really struggled to find a pet sitter I could trust with him. And she was somebody, she was so gentle and lovely when I met her and I had checked her references and I had checked her driver's license. She'd been walking them for a while. And when this happened, I was just stunned. And I realized I didn't know how I would ever trust somebody again. And I wanted a better way of vetting people. And I started looking into how background checks work and what you can do. And I found out it's like one of the craziest Swiss cheese systems in the world. I mean, for a country as developed as the United States, you can't believe how bad our background check systems are. And started Safety Pin, what we've done is we've created a universal digital trust badge that people can use anytime you're bringing somebody into your home or around your family or bringing any online relationship offline. Interesting. So in other words, if I'm the person who's hiring, do I then request or require somebody to go through the safety pin process? Exactly. And so what we do is we've changed the methodology of background checking. Most of the companies out there have created a new technology to use the old background check system. We've actually changed the methodology of our background checks. I like to say we didn't build a better mousetrap, we built a better mouse. And the way that we screen is much more comprehensive. In some cases, we're screening about 70% more area per person for their criminal background. But we also know, and in situations like my dog sitter, who's a perfect example, 40% of crimes go unreported. So I've never reported her for fraud or anything else. And then there are people that just haven't committed their first crime yet. So we worked with criminal profilers who had retired from the NYPD, a clinical psychologist from an Ivy League school who studied psychopathy in prisons for two years, and the former lead forensic psychologist from Leavenworth Maximum Security Prison. And we built a behavioral review that we can weight and score. And if somebody doesn't meet the requirements of our behavioral, they can't have a safety pin. So we know that the people getting a safety pin have a clean criminal background based on our screening methodology. And we know that they meet the behavioral requirements set by these extraordinary experts and professionals. I know this was built for really for people, you know, when they're bringing people into their homes and babysitters and I guess even dating, as you sort of mentioned, <laughs> do you also work with companies, you know, for employee background checks? 
We can. It's a little bit tricky because of the way there are some reporting requirements with something called the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and we're working on how that works now. But essentially, one of the things we recommend, for example, is we really built the product for the gig economy and the peer-to-peer economy. I'm on TaskRabbit. Someone I've never met before is going to come to my house with literal weapons, right? He's bringing a hammer. He's bringing a wrench. And then also something like Turo, where a stranger is going to borrow my car for three hours and come to my house to get it. And then they also know where you live after that. So that was really the concept behind building it. But we do have a couple of companies that we work with where they have employees that are going into people's homes. And what we recommend is if you don't want to have to fire people because they can't qualify for a safety pin, you can set a standard that if somebody doesn't have a safety pin, they can't work in a client home by themselves. So you always send somebody else with them or they're confined to working in the office or outdoors. And so there are ways to do it that don't necessarily interfere with this federal law, but still give you the opportunity to ensure your client that only the most trustworthy people will be working in their home. You know, a lot of times think about something like a WAG or a Rover, a complete stranger has a key to your house. Right. And they're going to take your dog for a walk for 30 minutes or 60 minutes. Like if you live in Manhattan, there is a place every two blocks that can make a new key. I mean, you know, as well as I do, it's such a tricky line because I try not to be in the fear business. I try to be in the peace of mind business. Right. But just this morning, there was an article on BuzzFeed about a Lyft driver that had a rape conviction on his record and they just missed it. And we see these stories every single day in the sharing and gig economies with babysitters that people hire, you know, my dog walker, another example. And so we really think it's important for people to take the extra step and take the extra time and screen somebody because the number of times something happens is small, but the risk when it happens is so significant. Absolutely. Wow, that's super, super fascinating. And obviously very much needed. Like we have that, you know, neighborhood newsletter next door, but it's always multiple neighborhoods. And, you know, you just think, gosh, you know, I I don't know, it is interesting. You know, you want to be trusting, but on the other hand, you also need to be safe. So... You do. And I'll tell you, one of the women that I work with, a forensic psychologist who has credentials, she has 12 pages of credentials, so I won't go through them, but she told me they did a study 42% of the time, their guts about somebody are wrong. So trusting your gut is wrong 42% of the time with people. And then I think every one of us, especially women, let's be honest, we've all been in a situation where we just felt uncomfortable, just uncomfortable enough but we didn't do anything about it. And then some of us have been in situations much more dangerous and scary, and we still didn't do anything about it because we know how rare the chances are that something will be done. And and this is probably my least favorite statistic to share, but I don't think it surprises most women. It's a Department of Justice statistic. For every 1,000 rapes, there are 46 arrests and only five men serve jail time. Wow, that's daunting, isn't it? And only 236 are reported. And so we're trying to weed out the people that don't have the records, but still present a risk. Very interesting. So in pivoting back to sort of your earlier days in business, well, you also wrote a book, (laughs) an international best-selling book called The Three-Day Business Cleanse. And I was super fascinated by that. And I think that a lot of our businesswomen, entrepreneurs listening today would love to just understand what does a business cleanse include? What is that for? And why did you write that book? So as I mentioned a couple of times now, I worked in the health industry. So it was a little bit of a double entendre with the three-day juice cleanses that we all do or, or a lot of us have done. And, you know, your skin's a little brighter and your stomach feels a little better. And so it's this idea that our businesses get gunked up just like our bodies do. And when you run a business for a long time, 
you have a lot of these legacy decisions that you don't really remember why you did it. It just works this way now. It worked with an old piece of technology and you transferred it over. And so as a business leader, I started doing a business audit every year with my team where we would look at our products. We would look at what they were contributing to the top line and the bottom line. We would look at whether they were presenting any customer service issues. And then we would figure out how to redefine our product lines and our product offerings based on that before I left the company. But I codified it into this three-day cleanse where the first day is really spent unpacking what your business is. The second day is spent in a new style SWOT analysis that I've developed where we're really looking at different things, but it's in the same family of that. And then the third day is a brainstorming on product development, marketing ideas, and then also what you're going to stop doing and how you're going to prioritize things. So probably for somebody who's in a young company situation, the most valuable thing there is the priority grid and how to get rid of your to-do list and really focus on the things that give the most opportunity to your business and how to limit yourself from getting shiny object syndrome. That's hands down the most valuable thing to any business owner. But somebody who has a business that's five years old and has these legacy issues, going through the whole process, I think is really valuable. And the book, it's a very short read. I mean, if you're flying from New York to Boston, I mean, you could finish it. It's very quick, but it really is a process-oriented book. These are the steps to do. This is what you need in a facility. And even though it's really built around those businesses that have been around a little bit longer and have things that need to be cleaned out, there's Mm -hmm. certainly a lot in there that somebody starting up can still use to give themselves started in the right way and to ask the right questions. And I did see on Amazon, it was available on Kindle Unlimited, which I have. So for those of you out there who have Kindle Unlimited, you can read it. So get on it. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. That's awesome. Let's just talk a little bit too about just your career and just all the different things you've done. You've had a lot of pivots, the marketing, the health and wellness, you had a digital agency or an author, and now you have a tech company. So what are some of the key drivers that really helped you navigate those pivots and really have that confidence to go into completely different industries or different roles and make those things happen? I honestly wish I had an answer for you. Early in my career, my first job out of college, I was at the American Correctional Association working in membership for law enforcement, which was ironic considering my time as a bailiff. It wasn't necessarily connected. And then my job after that, I worked at the American Association of Motor Vehicle Administrators, which is just as glamorous as it sounds. <laughs> and um, But it was a lot of law enforcement and motor vehicle laws and It was very male dominated, as you might imagine. And I was young. I was already married. I was married very young. And some of the older men would tell me I shouldn't have a job. I should be home making sure my husband had dinner when he got home. And one of the things I did very early in my career that is a tip that I give women today, I learned a lot about American football. And one of the reasons I did it was because my husband loved American football, my now ex-husband. But what it did is I really started to enjoy it. And then I could have a conversation with men that forced them to not put me in the box they had planned to put me in. So they would say to me, how was your weekend? And I would say, well, it was fine until that blown call. There's no way that was encroachment. And I think that cost us the game. And they would be shocked. And then they would have to look at me a little bit more like a peer than they had planned to. You know, I was a 25-year-old girl. And I'm saying girl because that's how they certainly saw me. Um, And they felt very paternalistic over me. And then as soon as I was having those conversations, they realized I was different than they thought. And it's very disarming. And I know some women don't like to use strategies and tactics. I say use 
everything in your playbook, we have a disadvantage. This is like if you are on a football field and you have a play that's not working and you just keep doing it over and over and over again because you believe in that play, you're not going to succeed. When you look at all the options you have, how you can run around the defensive line, whether you can throw a long pass, I'm sorry for all the football metaphors, but they work. And so I look at all the tools that I have, and one of them is find a way to force people to take you out of the box that they had planned to put you in. Excellent. That's great advice. Uh, Really great advice. And I would just love to talk a little bit, you know, when we kind of get into more great advice for women, you know, we're, of course, all about role models. And I would just love to know sort of your path. Did you have role models? And if you didn't, you know, how did you sort of think about, you know, becoming a role model? What was that like for you? I had a role model, but it was my dad. I adore my mom and I mean no disrespect. My parents got divorced when I was pretty young and my mom fell apart. I think her weakness was in the moment was very inspirational to me because at the age of 10, I thought I can never let this happen to me. I can never be affected like this. My dad was a businessman. He taught me very early on some of the core principles of business. And I was able to go to his office and see how he interacted with his team. As I grew though, in one of my jobs, I had a boss that I couldn't stand working for her. I mean, she was very demeaning. She stole my ideas. She blamed me for her bad ideas. Like it really was an aggressive strategy against other people and against the people that worked for her. And I used to drive around the parking lot every morning to see if her car was there before I'd go in so I could plan mentally for the day. And I realized at that moment, if I ever got to be a boss, I wanted to be the kind of boss I wanted to work for. Did that work out, trying to be that perfect boss, if you will? Yeah, it didn't work out well in the beginning. I will say I was a terrible boss in the beginning. I was very focused on the wrong things, whether I had the best chair, whether I had the best parking spot. And I realized that boss is probably one of the most dangerous words we use. I learned through an event that happened with some of my team members. I realized what I was doing wrong and I took a giant step back and I really started studying leadership. And at the time, John Maxwell's books were the ones that were the most inspirational to me. I would say, I wish at the time I felt like I had a stronger female role model and that there was somebody that I could see that was doing the things that I wanted to do. But I studied it a lot. There's a book and I'm sure there's a much newer version of it and maybe a different author. There's a book called Talking from Nine to Five by Deborah Tannen that explains the different communication styles that men and women have. And I'll never forget this one example was if a man needed his assistant to FedEx something, he hands it to her and he says, this needs to go out by three o'clock today and he walks away. And if a woman has to ask her assistant to do the exact same thing, she says, oh my gosh, I know how busy you are. If there's any way you could get this FedEx out before three o'clock, that would be amazing. And I would really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I spent a lot of time after reading that book, refining my communication style to combine the masculine and the feminine, where I wasn't apologizing for telling people to do their job, but I was thanking them for doing it in a way that was appropriate and not over the top. And I think that's a lesson that hybrid communication is very important. And men can be great role models for us. I think it's important that we have women to look to, but I don't think we need to shun male role models. And if I didn't have them, I wouldn't have had any. So, or I wouldn't have found any. I'm sure there were women I just wasn't looking to. But then as I progressed in my career, and I really studied these tenets of leadership and the communication. And when I left my last company, my last company was organized. There was a large parent company and a bunch of subsidiaries. And I was the CEO of one subsidiary. When I left, women reached out to me from other subsidiaries that I'd never even heard of saying how sorry they were that I was leaving because I was the only strong female role model they had in the company. And it made me realize, Melinda, that we don't know when we're role models. 
And so we're not all Oprah and we're not all Brene Brown. I know, I know that's something you point out as well. Yeah. But we all have somebody watching us. And in the beginning, I had people watching me either emulating negative behavior or reacting badly to my negative behavior. And I created those situations. Toward the end of my career there, I had people watching me for positive behavior. Women I literally didn't even know existed were watching me. And when you're somebody like Oprah, obviously that happens every single day. But when you're somebody in a company of 700 to 1,000 people, you don't realize it can happen. And I think it's incumbent upon us to recognize that everything we do is inspiring somebody at some point and that every one of us is a role model. And to own that space and own it proudly and teach the lessons that you want to put into the world, even if you don't know who's receiving them. That's awesome advice. I love that and absolutely fits with everything that we talk about. I I totally agree with you. You can learn something from everyone that you come across and know that, that what you're putting out there, I think that's really powerful. So what is next for Safety Pin and Jenny Thompson? Well, what's next for Safety Pin? We're launched and we're in our growth phase and we're looking for companies and partners that want to help us make the internet a safer place. And we want to build out our screening algorithm to make it really the most reliable thing that people can use and continuing to build that out. We have some amazing people on our board of advisors. We have the former chief security officer of the White House. We have the former FBI agent that walks Saddam Hussein out of the bunker. And we want to continue to connect with amazing law enforcement people to help us build and validate what we're doing. And then what's next for Jenny Thompson is that's an everyday question. I mean, today I would say I'm having Mexican food with one of my close friends who's visiting and celebrating birthday with a girlfriend. It's a day-by-day thing. I hope what I want is for Safety Pin to really become something that people understand the value of and can look for and can make decisions about who they're bringing into their homes with full transparency that somebody who has a safety pin has been through this process and is currently in good standing. And when that happens, then I'll figure out what's next for me. But I also will say I randomly mentor people. I have three or four women that I mentor on a monthly basis, some whom I've just met on Facebook through groups. And one of my philosophies in life is take every phone call, take every meeting, because if the person can't benefit you, and I'm doing air quotes, Mm -hmm. you might be able to benefit them. And those relationships are so mutually valuable. And you also never know how someone could create an opportunity for you. And I love watching young women blossom and become more confident and believe in themselves because I spend an hour a month or an hour every two weeks with them. And I I think it's such a greedy thing to do and people think it's so generous, but I would recommend that everybody find someone who can make them feel generous when they're really being greedy. (laughs) That's awesome. That's great (laughs) advice. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. We so appreciate your time and your candor and really looking forward to watching you and Safety Pen and wishing you the absolute best of success. Thank you so much, Melinda. I really appreciate your time and I love what you're doing. I would love to support you in the show in any way I can. Oh, thank you. We will talk to you soon. Great. Thank you. Looking for more inspiration, advice, and direction? Subscribe to our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot, where we provide you with the tools and motivation you need to get out there and be the badass boss you were meant to be. Tune in next week when I sit down with Lisa Copeland, founder of Cars Her Way. Share On The Dot with your tribe. Like, subscribe, and share onthedotwoman.com, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you stream your favorite pods.